Hello, and welcome to the Learn to Mediate Online podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and I'm one of the leading experts in online mediation. I have personally been mediating online for over five years now, and I have my own fully online family law mediation and coaching practice. Two years ago, after so many of my colleagues reached out wanting to know how I was doing it, I created the Learn to Mediate Online training program. And to date, I have personally trained thousands of mediators in how to successfully conduct their mediations through an online platform. As a leading figure in the online mediation movement, I am privileged to be on the cutting edge of developments and advances in online practice, and this podcast has been created to share that information with you. So tune in each week to get the inside story on how to mediate online. I invite you to now listen to today's podcast. Hello, and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today I am going to cover the anatomy of a mediator's opening statement for online mediation. So I know all of you experienced mediators out there already know what you would normally cover in your opening statement to the parties at the beginning of a mediation. Uh, you know, you welcome, this is how the mediation will unfold, this is what we're going to go through. But when you are online, when you are the mediator in an online proceeding, it's a good practice to include some new concepts some new information in your opening statement. So I'm just going to highlight those areas um, because I found over the years, I've been online mediating now for about five, six years, and I found that it, when you give them this information up front in that first session, in that opening statement, it's very helpful. It keeps it top of mind and keeps it fresh for them. So the first thing that I want to say is comes even before that opening statement. And it really comes at that point in time where you are admitting people from the waiting room. Um, and I hope you are all using the waiting room function, whether it be on Zoom or some other platform that has some sort of delayed admission. Uh, because as we all know, the waiting room function, the delayed admission function um, is what keeps your meeting secure, right? It's where you can check the identity of each person who's being uh, brought into that meeting to make sure that they are a scheduled participant. Now, you know, for some of us like me who do family mediation, I usually know my clients ahead of time. There aren't that many people involved most of the time. And so that's not a big concern. But for those of you mediators out there who are doing large, complex mediations with multiple parties, multiple representatives, uh, multiple attorneys, it's a very good idea to have that list, admit people, make sure that they are the people and check them off as they, they enter. As you're bringing them in, another few things to be doing subtly as you are talking to the people is, one, check and make sure their, their internet connection is sufficient for them to be participating in the mediation. 
as I've talked about in prior episodes, the number one disruptor of an online mediation process is when one or more of the participants has a poor internet connection. That causes a freezing of their video so that they, or a jerkiness in their video, as well as often call, I always call it the wonky audio, you know, where wah, 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 and they start to make some strange noises um, or uh, their audio also can freeze. So before you even get to your mediation, as you are admitting people, check and make sure that their Wi-Fi connection or their internet connection is good. If not, I've gone over some of the troubleshooting that you can do to try and make it better. Things like turning off all the other programs, making sure people in the house are not using the Wi-Fi at the same time and straining it, um, switching to a location closer to the router, whatever they can do to get a better and stronger internet connection. And then the last one is a little pro tip that I'm going to give you all, especially for those multi-party complex mediations where you don't know everybody. So when I'm admitting people, I will also check, when I check their identity, I check their little name tag in the corner of the screen to make sure, one, that it's the correct name. So sometimes people are logging on with somebody else's account and or a business account and it will have the business name and not their name or it'll be their spouse's account and it will have their name instead of uh, the spouse's name instead of the participant's name. I also will add a little role designator. So if the person is the plaintiff, I might say Mary Green plaintiff. If it is attorney Barbara Brown, plaintiff's counsel, I might say attorney, you know, Barbara Brown, plaintiff counsel. Um, and I go through and not only put the person's name, but their role. And I explain so that there's not a problem, but just mainly that this is the easiest way to keep everybody straight. We have a multi-person online mediation, and it's easier for everyone who may not know each other to have the designation of role as well as the person's name. So that's all before you actually get everybody in to a, an opening statement. Now, the first question you're going to have, right, is whether you want to do a joint opening statement or whether you want to go from room to room and do a caucus-style opening statement. That's truly up to you, but I will tell you that I always or almost always do a joint opening statement where all parties are together for one opening statement. And it's not just because I don't want to have to say the same thing over and over again. It's also because there's power in saying some of the things that you're going to say to them and some of the information that you're going to bring to their attention, saying that in front of everyone so that everyone hears the same thing at the same time from the same source. It keeps anyone from ever saying, well, I never heard that because everybody else heard it. And you'll understand why I say this when I go through these points. But Again, I'm not going to go through the standard opening statement content that you all know, but a few things to add in. First, in your welcome, we're all here today to mediate uh, this matter, and I appreciate you. Know, we're going to get this done and all of the, the opening jargon that we will put in there. 
also consider adding an acknowledgement that you are online, that this is an online proceeding, and that for some or all of the participants, except perhaps you, this may be new technology. It may be a new format. And just remind everyone that this is new for some. It's, it's a learning curve for all. And that perhaps we can all have a little patience and grace with each other as we move through the process. I actually, that is not my tip. I got that from one of the people who took my course. Um, she reached out after to tell me that she had been starting her mediations with that in her opening statement. And it was remarkably effective, not only from a perspective of everyone being patient with each other, and the online process and technology, she said it also gave everyone a feeling like, hey, we're all in this together. We're going to get through it together. And she actually felt like it pulled things together and gave it a great start. So I highly recommend that you work that into that opening statement. Now, of the, you know, utmost importance in an online mediation or any proceeding is to talk with everyone and re remind them, I hope. I hope there have been um, in some way conversations or communications about privacy and confidentiality before now, but it is the really key and critical time to remind everyone of certain components of maintaining confidentiality and privacy. So this is why I like to have everybody all together in one place, um, all hearing this information from me at the same time. And then I go around the room and confirm with them all that they've heard it. There's a lot of power in that because what I do is remind them all that this is a confidential process and this is a private process. And what that means is there can be no unintended or if whether they intended or not, there can't be any third parties present who are not supposed to be in the proceeding. They can't have anyone nearby who can overhear what is going on. So it doesn't matter whether they're in the room or not. They actually have to be in a place where the communication that is going on through the screen is private from outside um, being overheard outside. They also have to, I always remind everyone that I am not recording the session and I do not allow any participant to record or in any way disseminate any portion of the process, the mediation process to third parties or any you know, resource that is not a part of the mediation. They can't have an open phone line where someone's listening in. They cannot um, do anything that violates the confidentiality and the privacy of their proceeding. I will also at this time remind them all that they can't be on public Wi-Fi. Now, I, I will tell you, most of the time you can tell if they're in a public place, but with the world of, of virtual um, screen... Uh, 
virtual backgrounds, like you can see if you're watching the video version of this podcast, um, you really can't tell where people are. So unless you're hearing noise in the background, you would not know they were in a public place. So reminding everyone that everyone needs to be on, on private, not public Wi-Fi is important. And here's something that's very powerful, depending on how many people you have participating. I usually will take the time to explain all that and then go around the room, so to speak, I'm doing air quotes, <laughs> go around the room and have everyone confirm that they've heard that and that they are in compliance. Um, there's the power, right? They are now confirming their confidentiality and their privacy and their adherence to the rules that you have set as the mediator, hopefully in your guidelines and ground rules ahead of time, so that everyone in the room can be as confident as possible in the privacy and confidentiality of the proceeding. I also remind them that if the situation changes and they are no longer alone or if a third party comes in, I mean, remember, everyone's in their homes right now, but even if they were in their office, it's not unheard of that they were interrupted or someone who wasn't there might come into their office, their room, their conference room. So they need to be reminded that they should notify you immediately if there's any change to the confidentiality and privacy of their part of the proceeding. And I find that to be very, very powerful. I really do. I actually put right on my agenda a na the name of each of the participants, and I will check the box next to it when they confirm that they are meeting all of the guidelines and ground rules with respect to um, confidentiality and privacy. Now, another thing that is a very good idea um, and in fact, I, I think of it as imperative in your opening statement is to review what will happen if anyone, including you, the mediator, experiences a tech failure. Because I've said it before and I'm going to say it again right now, sooner or later, it's going to happen. I have had every possible thing go wrong with my internet connection, with my computer dying, with my computer deciding to update itself. Uh, with the Wi-Fi going out in my or the internet going out in my neighborhood, it's going to happen to you or a participant sooner or later. So a very good idea is to very matter-of-factly just remind everyone, hey, if this happens, here's what you do. Um, I always recommend a very simple protocol. I, I adhere to keep it, uh, well, keep it super simple, KISS method. Um, I have them try to log back on if that's a possibility, if they've gotten knocked off. And if they cannot, because say the internet's gone out or the computer has died, then I tell them to call me on my cell phone or com communicate with me on my cell phone. And as I always talk, I always have the cell phone with me. At this point in time in my opening, I will repeat my online, my email, or I'm sorry, my cell phone number for all of the participants, I also make sure that I have theirs um, because it's the one of the easiest and quickest ways to then communicate with people if something goes wrong. But reminding people about this is really critical for when something goes wrong because most people panic. 
They really do. Whether you've told them six times or 600 times about what to do, they still have that moment of panic. And if you keep that as simple as possible and be as matter of fact as possible and remind them in your opening, hey, it's going to happen. Don't freak out. This is what you can do. Now, one other thing to remind them, if you have locked your meeting after admitting everyone from the waiting room, as I've talked about as a security measure in other episodes, just remember if they've gotten knocked off and they come back into the waiting room, they're not going to be able to get in. They'll be in the waiting room, right? So they can't get back into the meeting. So it's a good idea, even if they've gotten knocked off and are quickly logging back on, they may still need to send you that quick text to let you know, to let them back in, because if you're off in a breakout room, you may not know that they have. So it's a very good idea to just have that simple matter of fact communication with them. Now, I talk about Zoom fatigue, and this is something that I have added uh, to my opening statement in recent days. And and I did do an entire episode um, that I strongly urge you all to listen to about Zoom fatigue. Um, Again, air quotes, but it's real. Um, I personally have been experiencing it and every colleague that I talk to has confirmed that they too are having issues around just exhaustion by the end of their day, literal feeling of exhaustion because of the constant participation in in online meetings, virtual conferencing. So certainly a day-long, eight-hour, 12-hour, however long your mediation might be going on, has that's exhausting in and of itself. Understand that there are psychological and brain chemistry reasons why it's even more exhausting when you're participating online. Go listen to that episode if you have questions questions about it, but trust me, Zoom fatigue is real. And so there are, I warn people about that in the beginning, and I also let them all know we want to be aware of that. So a few things that we can all do is, one, just know that if you have an opportunity to take a break and you feel you need one, that's perfectly acceptable. In fact, I take quite a few more breaks, even if they're only five or 10 minute, you know, bio breaks in the middle of my mediations now when they're online than I did when they were in person. And now that my meetings are back to back to back day after day on Zoom or some other platform, I am doing a lot more breaks. So I, I just warn, I warn people they might feel fatigued. I let them know that if they're not participating, if I'm off in another caucus room, breakout room, and they have an opportunity to take a break, I do suggest that they take advantage of that every once in a while. Now, that comes down to when people are participating in the mediation and when they're not. So we all know as we go back and forth between caucus rooms, between breakout rooms, we are leaving other people unattended. So I say, you know, hey, one of the highlights or benefits of an online mediation proceeding is that you do have the ability to go and do whatever you might like to do or take those breaks when you are not actively participating in the mediation process. Um, So multitasking, working on other cases if they are the attorneys, attending to family needs, answering the door, going to get the mail, whatever the issue might be or the activity might be, if they are in their breakout room and you're off in another breakout room, that's perfectly fine. I encourage people to do it. Again, it's those breaks that will help break up the process for them. 
flip side of that, though, I ask them if they're stepping away from their computer to just send me a quick note, either a text or something in the chat. Um, and so, and to keep their phone with them so that we have a way to reach them. Because I have had people go off and get involved in doing something else and I haven't been able to reach them to tell them, hey, we're ready for you, or can you come back? So they definitely need to communicate with you. And again, you need their cell phones so you can communicate with them. But that's, you know, I talk about that, that downtime that they're going to have in this process. Um, and in fact, in some cases where we have many parties, I've been known to say, hey, you guys can log off for an hour. Why don't you come back on at noon and we know you'll be back then so that they can go do something else. Um, try to be respectful of their time and attention, but also remind them that they need to be participatory when they are on, when they need to have their video on, they need to have their audio on. And then last quick little note that I tell people, because when I did online or in-person mediations, I had a nice platter that was either in the middle of the conference table or it was on the sideboard and it had chocolates and it had energy bars and it had apples and bananas and we had, you know, water with lemon slices and a list of sodas and a coffee machine all the snacks, all the nice things to keep people from getting hangry. Um, and that we don't have available to us in this online setting. So I always recommend people, um, and again, I, this is in my pre-mediation materials I send out to people, but I remind them, hey, you know, have a drink or have some water available, have a couple of snacks. Um, I will remind you if we're getting close to the lunch break that you, if you're going to order lunch, you might want to do that. Um, but keep in mind that that's something or if they need to take a bio break um, or if something comes up, always just ask that they communicate with you because most people just get up and walk away from that computer. And it's actually been a, a, an issue in some mediations that I've done. Um, and then I just will go back to, um, you know, asking everyone for their patience, thanking them for trying something new if it is new to them and assuring them that this is going to be a success, as successful a process as it ever was in the um, in-person format. And sometimes, depending on the people that I have, I will close out with asking if anyone needs any assistance or help at this time with understanding um, any of the functionality of Zoom? Um, do, do, does everyone understand the breakout rooms? Does everyone understand how to screen share? If anyone has any questions, I always let them know they can get in touch with me separately via the text messaging on the phone, um, or I will give them my assistance email or phone number and they can call as well to her. So I hope that that gave you a little something to think about. It's, it's, there's a need to sort Sort of beef up your opening statement as you go into an online mediation. But it's much like everything else with an online mediation. The more preparation you do, the more laying of the groundwork, the more smoothly that process is going to run for you. So I hope this helps you all and I'll see you again next week on the Learn to Mediate Online podcast. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of the Learn to Mediate Online podcast. 
I'm Susan Guthrie, and if you liked this episode, please give me a five-star rating and tell me what you did like in a review. Join me each Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. to hear another episode, and be sure to subscribe now so you don't miss one. Send me your questions and comments at susan at learntomediateonline.com, and you can find out more about my trainings and programs at learntomediateonline.com. I'll see you next week.